This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. I'd like to thank one of our sponsors, RetailOpeningsAndClosings.com. In today's dynamic retail landscape, tracking openings and closings before they take place has never been more important. Having this intelligence is an undeniable competitive advantage. RetailOpeningsAndClosings.com, also known as ROCK, tracks future openings and future closings. Comprehensive, accurate, and reliable, the ROCK is your crystal ball and the key to making well-informed decisions with confidence in today's evolving retail climate. Welcome to Retail Retold, everybody. Today we have Anes Amaliti. He is the CEO of Cell Phones for Less. Uh, they operate 27 locations under the Cricket banner. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris, for having me. So Anas, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and your story and, and uh, how you got to 27 locations? Sure. So I was born and raised in Jordan, a place that not a lot of people are familiar with. It's somewhere in the Middle East. I really wanted to grow up to become a doctor. And I moved to the U.S., Syracuse, New York, um, the town, because I had some relatives that were in this town. And I started out with at OCC studying math and science on that path of becoming and going into medical school. Uh, shortly, really g- going into that, I discovered that this was not really the thing for me because I am not into uh, dissecting uh, and then looking at blood. It was just not really all that I wanted to, to, to be. And so I decided, all right, maybe I'm good at chemistry. I will do chemistry. Uh, I transferred to Binghamton University, studied chemistry and math over there, finished. And I'm like, I'm not really comfortable spending 12 hours in a lab and not getting any value on return on my investment in the time is spending a lot in the experiments, but it's a brutal world out in the science world. And I wasn't really getting much value or uh, anything that is a passion. So I said, I will take a year off. And I took a year off in 2009 until I just wanted to figure out what I want to do with my life, maybe uh, study more chemistry or do something else. And then my father at the time was having some health issues. And I said, all right, I'll just help him. He owned a cell phone store. He was doing used phones and repairs um, in, in a small town in, in, in called Eastwood in Syracuse. And I helped him out with, with that. And I slowly started realizing I really like dealing, managing people, uh, marketing products, and f- figuring out a way to tweak. The business world was very appealing in the sense that you were able to see tangible benefits of the work that you were putting. Um, and I got really excited about that. So I started uh, saying, okay, maybe I want to add more value to this. And, you know, one location added to the other. And, and sometimes in 2011, I was like, I really want to scale the business. One day I would like to grow this operation and make it really huge. But I didn't really know what that looks like. I just knew that I wanted to scale. And I, but I realized that I didn't really have the, the, the teachings, if you will, that how to scale a business. Uh, so I ended up getting my MBA at Syracuse University, and then right around 2014, uh, we I finished the MBA, and I only had two locations. One of them was Cricket Wireless, and AT&T had been trying to 
get into the prepaid uh, segment of the product. So the wireless industry is really two pillars. There is the there is the postpay, which is about 90% of the consumer base. And then there is the prepaid, which is 10, really less about 10 or a little bit more than that. Uh, so AT&T wanted to get into the prepaid space. Their strategy at the time was this is where the growth is. Uh, postpay was stagnating. Uh, they had made an attempt, earlier attempt at acquiring T-Mobile a couple of years earlier. It did not work. So they acquired Cricket, and it was a going to be a fighter brand and a, one that they can go after um, a customer base or competition in ways that they didn't want to do with their brand. And they would off, they would allow Cricket to use the AT&T network and then would have much, uh, it would target a customer that was more cost-conscious consumer. Really, and from that moment, it was, okay, so you got the, the AT&T coverage and network, and then you have the prices of a much cheaper, um, more affordable, simpler product. And that was really it. The rest was history. We were like, okay, this is a no-brainer that we got to grow uh, in that, um, grow with cricket. And it was really the best decision that I have ever done in my life is to, to grow with the Cricket Wireless uh, brand because the company is so incredible in supporting their authorized retailers across the country. They're growth-oriented and they operate in a way that I don't really see many organizations operate in that way. So we expanded and I, I, I got to see the beauty of central New York and the upstate area because having moved from the desert into the snow weather uh, was a completely <laughs> different uh, change. And I hated it for the first 10 years living in upstate New York, but through uh, researching locations for cricket wireless, I really started appreciating the beauty of, of all of New York and what it has to offer. And, and it's been just an incredible ride. And so there was a lot of, you know, back and forth of driving. In fact, in one year, I put more than 100,000 miles on my car just scouting out and looking for locations wow. across uh, the upstate region. So, so when you were transitioning from the science world to the business world, how did you land on cell phones? Yeah, you know, I, I really, it was mainly because my father had just started a cell phone business and it was just one location and I just wanted to help him out to fix the problems that he was experiencing and just move on to something else or discover what I really wanted to do. And I really, in, in, in science, I started with it because I thought I was good at it. I was, and I thought that what, what was you needed is to, that, no, I thought that I was passionate because I was good at it or something. And, and I'm like, okay, but then I did cell phones and I was really good at it, what I was doing. And it was what was driving my passion, not the other way around. It's not your passion that drives your fulfillment. It was that you're good at something, you want to become better at it, that it drives your passion. It was the other way around. And it just started really giving me a feeling of self-fulfillment that I had not discovered or seen in the scientific arena. Awesome. That's really great self-awareness there. Um, and so getting, getting ramped up, was it really capital intensive to start to go from one to two and get to the other locations? How did you, you know, a lot of going from one to two, I see a lot of entrepreneurs do going from two to three, they do. And then over that, people start to really struggle to scale. And you mentioned scale. What for you was like the point that whether it was cash or strategy or a combination that that helped you start to scale up to get to 27? 
Yeah. So, you know, it's really an, it's an, an interesting question. You know, you always obviously as an entrepreneur, cash is your biggest bottleneck. You're always really looking at that um, and, and then trying to figure out, making sure that you never really run out of it. That's rule number one. Yeah, it's oxygen, building. Right? <laughs> so you, you, you never run out of it. But what really, so what, what I ended up looking at is, is the business, is the economics, is it, um, is it viable? And if it was, how do I find the cash to do it? So I ended up in 2015 uh, taking out a loan uh, for $200,000. And it was at the time, like, I want to build out four, five locations. Um, and then we, we, we and then see how that goes. And so that's really the start of it. And we launched in the capital area, the Albany, the greater capital area in Albany. Uh, so we started with one location, uh, and then I got really more comfortable. Okay, that the concept is working. So then I added another location, and, and it was our strategy was go in the mall location, build out kiosks, and see just to see the proof of concept because it's a new market you're launching in there. You want to really test it out. Uh, it worked. The second one worked. The third one with and there was like four or five months in between. You're just really trying to prove that okay, it's there. You know, the product is viable. People really want this. Uh, and then continued in there. But I, I think, you know, right now I am, I'm reaching at that moment, I was doing everything. We're like really ordering inventory, processing payroll, doing the HR, reviewing um, everything myself, because it was just so small that there was really not much of scalability at that time. You just couldn't really afford to have to hire people to do that. All that you were really doing is just bootstrapping and grinding it out until you, have a liquid and, and viable business and sustainable that um, cares. So that was really just how do I have enough cash um, and then make sure that you don't screw up opening these locations and make sure that you're doing it and, 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 and putting the right locations. The strategy was really grow. My strategy was grow where you're planted. Um, you know, I don't really have in terms of, you know, cricket sets the tone of the overall corpus strategy. Their strategy is really, simple, affordable wireless and having the best um, wire and prepaid um, network in the industry. So that's the strategy. They said it. But on a local level, what I said is just really grow where you're planted, where you're familiar with grow in those areas and don't overextend yourself in a way that doesn't allow you to respond to market changes. So we did that. Um, but there was uh, until that moment, there was really not much focus on the people aspect of, you know, you got to make sure that you have your infrastructure you got to have your sure you, you got your cash and then strategy and then people strategy grow where you planted. It's, it's complex, but it's just not much involved in their cash. You, you secure a loan infrastructure is like your processes that you put in place that are really hold things together. I was learning that on the job. Like it's like literally just you're flying. It's like an airplane. You're building your wings on your way down because you just, and, and, and I was just really learning that the management aspect of it. And so two things that I was learning on the job is to build your processes and then managing people and becoming a better manager in that process. And that's a whole world in it in of itself. Great. And so how many employees do you have today? We are at 70 today. And is that people in the stores as well as in your office? Yes. Uh huh. Yep. Both of them. So we have people in the store and then our back office. Um, we try to optimize to the best of our ability to reduce the support per store. As long as you're optimizing, you're doing, um, you're doing what needs to be done in that category. How many people does it take to run a cricket store? 
It really depends on the store. On average, two to three people if you are really efficient in what you do. Some stores will require four or five people, depending on the traffic flow of the store. And so you have locations in kiosks and malls, and you have storefronts as well. Mm-hmm. What's the breakdown of the, the, the two? So we really go walking away from the kiosk model uh, these days into just storefronts. And so really, really, we only have about four kiosks of our old portfolio and only five total mall locations. So four of them are kiosks. One is on inline and the rest of them are in shopping centers um, or standalone. Got it. And so give everyone a little perspective. You, you mentioned the prepaid world. Cricket Wireless, what what network, does Cricket have their own network? Are they using someone else's network? How does it work? So Cricket is, is a subsidiary of AT&T, uh, and they use the AT&T network. They have the access to the network. Uh, most people really get confused. Well, if I'm using the AT&T network, why should I pay the prices for the AT&T and not just go on the Cricket? Um, there is really just minor differences between the being a crazy customer and the AT&T. Uh, the two that I can think of, the major ones, are the um, ability to roam. So if you're a Cricket customer and you are in a spot where the AT&T network is, 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 is spotty, you're not able to roam off of other networks. Okay. Now, if you're an AT&T customer, you'd be able to roam off of Verizon, off of T-Mobile, uh, and that's so the roaming agreement. Now, the company really covers 99.9% of Americans. You know, it's very rare where you'll see those spots. So that's one difference. The other is your ability to roam internationally. So in the, in, in the AT&T world, if you're an AT&T customer, you travel abroad, you're able to pay and roam. Uh, whereas with Cricket, you're unable to just do that, just go outside the country. We do have services in Canada and Mexico that you're able to um, use your phone without having to really incur roaming charges. So these are really the two major differences between the two. Outside of that, uh, the, 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 uh, the network uh, is, is incredibly great, just not much really of a difference between that and Cricket and AT&T. And is, a lot of people are shocked when they know that. Yeah. Is there differences in like services? Can I get any phone I want on Cricket, anything like that? Yeah, anything that's compatible with the AT&T network here, compatible with Cricket, uh, typically it's a GSM network, so you can get whatever phone as long as it's unlocked and compatible with the network. Uh, you can you can just you either bring your own devices, or we have a you know a product line about twenty SKUs of different phones that you could select from. And what is the pricing difference? Well, like what what does it cost to Cricket per month versus AT AT and T? Is it unlimited data? Yes, I know unlimited data. Really, most carriers right now are offering unlimited data. Uh, but you know, you have to really express, to talk more about what unlimited is, because there is like prioritization of networks. I mean, you hear that term thrown around. It used to be throttling, where if you exceed um, twenty gigabytes a month uh, of data usage, you get throttled. In other words, you just get slowed down. Right now, there has been a shift in the industry where it's called prioritization. You're not really slowed down as long as you, the network is not congested. If the network can handle, you know, let's say that there is a game, a basketball game, and there's 50,000 people using, there might be some congestions in the network. So that prioritization, if you're a person that reached 22 gigabytes, 
and somebody else has only used five gigabytes, the prioritization of the network goes to them before it goes to you. Uh, so that's what, um, and, and so we, we have unlimited data. It's very rare that people get, you know, prioritized, but the prices range depending on what rate plans. The most popular plan that people get is the unlimited more. It's $60 a month, taxes and fees included. You get unlimited data, the fastest LTE uh, speeds available, and compare that to the post-pay on the AT&T, that same plan is about 100 120 bucks uh, when it's all said and done. Wow. That's unbelievable. And do you know how many crickets there are nationally? Yes, there is about 5,000 locations um, in, wow. in, in the U.S. Uh, for Cricket Wireless right now. It is the fastest growing uh, prepaid uh, brand in the, in the country. And, and most of those are franchise, right? Yes, most of them are. We, we are called authorized retailers. Um, so most of, of these locations, in fact, about 99% of them are authorized retailers, right? And your, your biggest competitors are Metro PCS and boost. Yes. You know, those in, in, in the, in that, in our category of prepaid, those are the two that are the biggest competitor for us. Mm -hmm. And so when you say prepaid and that's the big distinction, how do I, I pay you before the service turns on or how, what does that mean? Chris, that's a good question. Great one, actually. The definition of prepaid and postpay used to be, um, it was, it's really just that. It's like you pay before the service versus after the service. But in every other aspect of the word, it really has converged. Years ago, the prepaid, uh, it used to be you pay by the minute. In fact, there's still that stigma today with people when they hear prepaid. So do I pay by the minutes? Um, is it just going to be like, I get, I pay 10 bucks and then I get 200 minutes. Uh, but it's really the same except for the timing of when you pay it prepaid. You pay me today, you get your service for the next 30 days post pay, you get your service today for the next 30 days. And then that's when you're, you're billed. Um, outside of that technicality, there was really not much of a difference and outside of just the billing aspect of it. And, and the billing, is it really only the first payment that's different? Uh, yeah. I mean, everything else is really just um, from the billing aspect of it is the same. Absolutely. Wow. So it's converging. The line between prepaid, it's really where we're getting into almost like a singularity point between these lines that are converging. In fact, if you look at the difference in price points, you know, we, we have in the industry something we call ARPU, average revenue per user, uh, it used to be 60 bucks for the post pay guys. Um, and now because of the competitive nature of the industry, it's getting lower. So now it's like on the post pay side, they're getting 40, 42 bucks, you know, mid forties range for the, and the, the prepaid side is getting, you know, 33, 34. So over the last really 10 years, you have seen a convergence um, and it, it over time, it's going to continue to accelerate that convergence between how much the prepaid user pays versus how much the post-pay user is paying. And the industry is going through magnificent changes in the last uh, three years with the, uh, you know, uh, consolidation between T-Mobile and Sprint and the brands. You know, most people don't know that Metro PCS is owned by T-Mobile and that Boost is owned by Sprint and they're consolidating their brands with the um, merger that has taken place um, in the last uh, three months. Wow. Yeah, that is, that is remarkable. And the, so you have 27 locations and when people think about 
you, you say authorized retailer or a franchisee, they, they're typically like, you know, you take a QSR and let's say there's a million dollars and the franchisor gets a percentage of that total revenue. It's a little bit different in your world on how, you know, the franchisor gets or the corporate gets paid. How does it work with those in the prepaid world? Yeah, so it's really interesting. That is precisely one of the reasons why we're called authorized retailers, not franchisees, uh, because the model, business model is different. Uh, you know, we're fortunate that Cricket does not charge us a portion of our sales because of uh, a franchising fee or that goes into marketing or any of that. You know, the company recognizes that there are so many expenses as it is for the authorized retailers to deal with. So they're really not interested in that. In fact, they offer so much help in building out your locations uh, from A to Z. You know, we really don't get involved outside of picking up and then making sure that you're building it. The company is just incredible in the way in the, in the support that they offer. So there is no franchise fees, none of that stuff. And they offer so much subsidy into helping the authorized retailer. You know, they're, really their their way of, of doing business is how can we get the authorized retailer to succeed because their success means our success. Wow. So how do they make money? You know, it's a subscription based model. And so you, you, you activate, uh, if you're a customer and you activate your service with cricket today, you end up paying your monthly bill and that's how they're getting their, you know, it, increases your customer base. The more customers that you have, the more revenues that you will get every month and, 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 and you continue to grow that customer base. So it's, it's a subscription based on a monthly recurring basis. So you don't get the, when, when the, the, your customer pays the monthly bill, that doesn't go to you. So it does not go to me. I can't go into the specifics of that comp structure, but I get a piece of that as well. Got um, it. I okay. don't get all of it, but I get, I get, I get a piece of it as part of that compensation. Uh, Got structure. it. Okay. And so how's it been through COVID? Have you been, a, you were an essential retailer? Yes, we are considered essential retailer and we have been, Chris, incredibly lucky. Uh, you know, we're lucky to have, uh, we, we, we were lucky to be an essential business in the sense that we help people really connect with their loved ones at a time where connectivity is of the utmost value. I mean, there's never totally. been- a, a, a time where the resilience of our product and business model has been tested. And when we survive COVID-19 in the midst of a global pandemic, it gives you, if, if there was ever really a doubt about the business model, it puts to rest that, uh, that doubt. Uh, now, there is, there's no doubt that the consumer behavior of shopping is going to change. I mean, there's nothing that going... We, I don't really think that it'll be the same after post COVID-19. And so we're looking at making adjustments, uh, but it's been, we're, we've been incredibly lucky to have cricket um, uh, headquarters in our corner uh, because they have really stepped in every step of the way to recognize that this thing is really um, huge and we need to support the AR, uh, the authorized retailers. And they have stepped up in ways that I honestly did not um, I didn't see it coming. So it helped us uh, keep our employees on the payroll. You know, we were able to, some of our locations closed, uh, more locations closed, half of our locations, half of the 27. So in, 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 by the end of March, half of our locations were closed 
but we did not lay off a single employee uh, throughout, really, until this moment. In our New York operation, we operate in New York and PA. PA was a different um, setup. But in New York, we have not laid off a single employee because of COVID-19 because Cricket was able to support us. Even when our locations are closed, even when we're not generating revenues for them, they were supporting us in that process. So we didn't really lay off anybody. Even the we, people that were sitting home, we were able to pay them. You know, some of our employees, we paid them 350 hours of PTO, uh, and we wouldn't have been able to do it. So Cricket has been able to support us, and we we received the PPP funding. You know, the government has really stepped in in, in ways that was very surprising. The the um, the speed and there is a lot of controversy on, on on the PB, but I thought that they have done an incredible job of getting into infusing that to small businesses and it really helped us so we have been you know one of the lucky ones to say you know what we are going to really survive and emerge out of this stronger um than we walked into it and in the locations that stayed open were sales down were were they the same were they up you know it was different i'll tell you that i was in 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 a in March in the beginning of April it was down um, compared to what it was, but towards the end of April we were seeing some increase in activities in some locations, and then other locations we saw decreased in activities. It really depended on the locations, and when we look at it, how fast the COVID nineteen was spreading in that area what was the dynamic and how, what was the fear factor of the consumer in those areas? So there's really a lot of, it wasn't really clear cut, uh, but overall, uh, overall, we, we kind of benefited in the, of the, some of the locations benefited when the mall locations have closed, you know, Apple, the electronic stores have closed. We saw an increase in, in, in our sales on the Apple product um, in, in some of the doors actually. Interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. So what's next? What, how many locations do you want to get to? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I've been talking with drawing out the vision board and, and, and communicating that uh, with our team members. You know, we really want to get to 200 locations over the next five years. And COVID-19 uh, really solidified and codified that belief that we will get there uh, in the next five years. And so we're looking at, you know, a combination of acquisitions, mergers, and organic growth to help get to that um, number in the next five years. You know, we look at the future of the industry as one that's uh, incredibly infused with growth because of the 5G um, and the applications that it will bring. And so we see a huge opportunity uh, in that area. I, I, I want to get to that 200. And, and I think the ride and the thrill of just growing and, and going through and, and testing your limits as to how can really, how far you could go is, 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 is more exciting than that number itself. Awesome. Totally agree. So, so 200, are you restricted by geography? How does it work with geographically? <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, the cricket, the way that they really, they look at it and say, if we have an operator that's doing wonderful in this area uh, and we have, uh, so we'll give them that opportunity to grow in that area. If they do not want to grow, um, we'll find somebody else. To, but they'll always give you the, um, the, the, the first of right to tell you, you know, this is, we're interested in this area. Can you come in? 
So we are in upstate New York, and we're interested in growing in, in, in the Northeast. Uh, if, if there is opportunities on the West Coast and there are nobody that really interested, it's usually rare. When you have somebody in the West Coast that's growing, they'll just grow where they're planted. That's really most how people operate. Normally, rarely do you see people just jumping from coast to coast who have five locations on the East Coast, and they say, well, I want to go and and have 10 locations on the West Coast. But they're very respectful of the, um, you know, the geography of giving you the flexibility of say, do you want to grow? We want to grow with you. Um, if you're interested, let's do it. Got it. That is fascinating stuff. I want to I, I wanna pivot and I want to talk about the story of how one of these stores opened. And so Take me there, Nas. What what uh, what what location are we talking about? So the first location that opened, um, you know, it was interesting. It was how my father opened the location. We would go to a place that was called Steak and Sunday, uh, and and we loved having lunch in there. And so we would sit on the corner and look in through the window, and then across the street there was just this busy corridor. Like you know, wouldn't it be nice? Uh, if that store had something in it, well, like what? Well, maybe we'll just have cell phones. Cell phones are good. Uh, and, and that was really, it was like, we'd, we'll go and have lunch every day. What town uh, is we, this in? We, this is in Eastwood, uh, Syracuse. Okay. Uh, so, so we would go and then we'd look across and it just, uh, and, and, and it just materialized just by looking at the traffic and then then we were like okay let's just do it and really within like a month we 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 um looked at uh, a couple of pictures on craigslist and 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 put together and, and and that's how it came about it was just from having lunch in a good old italian uh restaurant place so wow so let me unpack this a little bit so you're having lunch in a good old italian restaurant i love them uh and you're you're saying, man, there needs to be something in that location across the street. It's a busy intersection, and you guys come across cell phone store. You say cell phone store. When you say cell phone store, were you just selling cell phones? Were you going to sell the service? What were you going to do? Really, just everything. You know, in the old days, you just want to you repair phones, you cell phones. Uh, you're just really you you just had this thought of like you know this uh, a, a, this product is in demand. Um, and, 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 and see what sticks. And so that's really, there was really not much of a, a business so, planning. In those I days. totally get it. It's the first <laughs> one. Bootstrap. So when you, when you decide that though, like if I want to open up a cell phone store, I have to get in touch with like AT&T or, or Verizon or something like that. What, so you decide you're going to do this. What do you have to do on that end to open that up? Who do you, who do you have to call? So back in those days, it was really different. You just, you, 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 the company, this is, you're talking 15 years ago, the companies came to you because they wanted distribution. And as time grows, it goes on. And then they have distribution and footing the rules of the game change into what you're describing. You have to really have a, a, a portfolio and fill out an application and then uh, contact whichever company that you think uh, you want to align yourself with, but that was completely different. You know, we just opened up and we're selling used phones and we're fixing phones. I wasn't even selling any services at the time. And then over time, companies that wanted distribution would say, Hey, you want to sell my product? And that's how it worked back in the days. It's completely different landscape today. 
So, okay. And so got it. So you can, it, it's a little, the back then it was just easier to open up, but you mentioned you were buying fixtures on Craigslist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 You know, you, you, you really, I, I remember my, my father was, they, they told him the rent was, I remember like something around 800 bucks. And he's like, man, that's expensive. You know, like now you look at that. <laughs> he's like, that's expensive. I got 700 bucks or like 600. Um, and then really all that he had was $5,000 and he didn't even have it. He had to borrow it from his nephew. So you really just, you the, the fixtures, you couldn't spend more than, you know, 500 or a thousand bucks on the fixtures. The rest of it, you had to put some inventory and you had to really spend every dime that you made on marketing and advertising. That's how it worked. Wow. So you're in, you got $5,000 and, yes. <laughs> and yes. you're using that for inventory fixtures and month one rent. Yes. And you go yes. in there. So you're praying when you open the doors, right? Cause you got to sell some stuff. Otherwise month two is going to be a challenge. And, and month one, it, did I guess you guys you guys got hit it right on the inventory? What was your inventory? What were you selling cases and doing repairs and? Yeah, yeah, we were selling cases. We were selling used phones. Um, you know, we were when we were putting the fixtures up. You know, it took us a couple of days, but you could see people were like peeking in and they're looking at it. What's going in there? We're like we're putting a cell phone store. They were super excited. So that was like gave us some like you know I, until this moment when I build out stores. I would look when we're building them out or when we're doing the store build out, I'd look and see people, are they trying to peek in there? Is it peaking their interest? Uh, <laughs> and then I just remember that moment of that first one store. I mean, there's nothing really like those moments when you're like first starting out and remembering that. So that piqued their interest. Like, man, you know, they're going to buy. And I remember when we put the fixtures up on the first day we sold um, our phone, you know, that doesn't really happen with our current stores that we open. You don't really sell on your first day when you put your fixtures and open up. It usually takes a couple of weeks before people know and buy, but you know, it did. And that was our lucky charm. And uh, you know, every phone that we sold, uh, we would just buy another phone and then um, and then just try to just bootstrap yourself as much as you can. You don't pay yourself. I didn't get paid. My brothers didn't get paid working for that store. So my father got off uh, easily with us. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, I imagine so. Is, does that store still exist today? Uh, yes, I um, I ended up. So it was, you know, I, I we ended up just uh, my one of our brothers said, you know, I'll just want to have it. I don't want anything to do with your growth plan. I just want to continue uh, selling uh, used phones and, and fixing phones. So he ended up um, just taking that. And I, uh, I moved on to just grow with cricket because I just wanted it's much easier to scale a business when you have a product and a brand like that, then try to scale a repair or used um, cell phone business. It's much more complicated. Yeah. So there's no, uh, so that's not a cricket branded store today. No, no, no. Got it. How long did it take you to realize, you know what, after you, you working with your dad, you're not making any money. You guys are month to month here trying to figure it out. When did you realize that, you know what, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to go do this on my own. Oh God. I mean, it took me, so with the way we come from, you know, this culture of, you know, is that you have to take care, you have to pay your dues. If your dad, um, you know, brought you, took you, helped you to school and you have to pay your dues, 
and your dues or you're going to go work for free and I'll give you a minimum wage until you just, you'll just get your food and gas. That's it. Outside <laughs> yeah. of that, you can't really. And so you did that. We did that for about 10 years. Um, so until like 2014, I believe, 2015. Wow. You really bootstrapped it. You were grinding. Yeah, no, it was, um, it taught us some really great lessons about family values and, and when you believe in something, you know, what does that look like and what you're going to do with it? Totally. And so the, the landlord, is that a local landlord there? Not like a big REIT or a mall landlord or some, some local landlord? Yes, a lo- a, you know, a, a local landlord. They have been incredible. Burn Dairy, you might have heard of them. Uh, <laughs> so they were, they, were, they, they, they were great, absolutely. Awesome. Well, listen, that's a really cool story in us. Um, uh, last part of our show is retail wisdom. So I got three questions for you. It's a rapid fire. Tell me when you're ready. Yes, go ahead. Best piece of commercial real estate advice. Oh God. So know your customers and where they go. Uh, you know, I remember one time I was at, a, uh, in, in Latham, New York, I wanted to open in, in, in a plaza, but I wasn't sure if my customers were going in there. So I stood outside of Walmart and I had a sheet with zip codes. I was just literally asking, can you tell me where you're from? Can you, your zip code, you're just give me your zip code. I was just mapping out where the zip codes of the shoppers. I ended up getting kicked out of Walmart for doing that. <laughs> uh, but it really just gave me an idea of like, are they shopping in there um, or not? You're so incredible. Your Anas, doing- you're incredible. That's amazing. <laughs> I love that you did that. You're amazing. This is old school. So, <laughs> it is old school. Exactly. It's like, oh, you, you, what do you, how are you going to know if they're shopping in there or not? I ended up not going in there because it did not work out. Um, it wasn't what I was looking for. So, um, it worked out. Um, so know where your customers come from. That's a great piece of advice. Are you familiar with geofencing and location analytics now? Nowadays it's much easier. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, good. I'm good. Much easier now. Um, Absolutely. All right. Second question. Extinct retailer you wish would come back from the dead. My God. I love me. So extinct retailers, you know, I, I, everybody hate, hates Blockbuster, uh, okay? But I just, like, there was something about going in there, buying some candy, and having that CD, DVD, and just going home and watching it. I am crazy to think that, but I just, I think that, uh, you know, they failed to, to, to update their business. But there was just something about going in there that just felt, okay, the experience was, was interesting. Speaking of Muff Day, I, I normally don't pivot out of retail wisdom, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask a question. Where does the... Where does your business converge with online in the future? You know, that's a great question. And it's a question that we're tackling right now. So the way that I see our business model converging with online is that I truly don't think that Amazon will ever replace us and our business model because people want to feel their cell phone and they want it now. Where I really think that us as cell phone retailers would have to adapt is to create a business model where you are delivering the same day to the customer. So one of the things that we're working on right now is to put and build a platform where the customer could go online, submit their, 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 their request of order. And we're saying if you are within our locations within 20 miles and you submit that order within 4 PM, 
we're going to deliver it to your house the same day. So that's really it. So if you can, if you can put a hybrid between your platform, your online platform and your brick and mortar, and then you converge them and get there with speed, which is what I think people need with their phone right now. If you really chopped on Amazon and COVID-19, some stuff were taking three or four weeks. People, you, you can ship a phone and give them a second day or two or, four, or 48 hours. That's one hour too long for people when it comes to our phones. I don't really think that will change. But that's really where I feel that we would couple our business model with the online. Um, and that's what COVID-19 has forced us to really just expedite the things that we were putting off in the past. You have to, it's really expediting our, the evolution of the business. Wow, that's great perspective. All right, last question. This one's going to be a tough one but I had a look. Today. Okay. So, um, I'm going, uh, summer's coming and my in-laws have a place down in the New Jersey shore and where I'm going to be working from home, but working there next week. So my, th- th- there's a pool and my family will be outside. I have two little kids and we're going to, and my, my kids need sunscreen. So the sunscreen of choice that we have is the Blue Lizard Australian Organic Sunscreen. It is a bottle, it's five fluid ounces. I'm on walmart.com right now. What does the Blue Lizard Sunscreen retail for? Five ounce bottle. Oh God, SPF. Seven, $7.99. This will blow your hair back, it's $14.98. Oh my God, it's too expensive. Why <laughs> Thank you for playing. Absolutely. Listen, Anas, this was uh, this was great. Really appreciate it. I'm glad we got to see each other in person and connect. Yeah, too. Me too. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.